Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cochilillo, and today we have Taylor Elwood, world-renowned occultist and author. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me back. I'm glad to be here again as, and uh, looking forward to chatting with you. Yes, and it seems like in the short time that we have not talked, you've managed to write three new books. Yeah, I've been busy and, and working on a fourth one, so there you go. <laughs> so um, which book would you like to start out with to talk? Oh, we can talk about Walking with Magical Entities first and then go on to the next one, Walking with Spirits, and talk about the latest venture if you want. Okay, that sounds good. Um, so in what, Walking with Magical Entities, um, you know, what is it about? Like, how, how does it, uh, like, what does it deal with like what type of entities are we dealing with here uh well in walking with magical entities what i'm presenting is my system for creating and working with magical entities um and and what i present there is a a little bit of a different approach from the the usual because what i what i try to emphasize uh, is a collaborative approach to working with the entities that you create you know, a lot of people, uh, when they think about creating a magical entity, you know, they kind of think of it as something that they create as a tool or a servant for getting things done. But in general, my work, in, in my work with spirits in general, I always try to take a collaborative relationship approach to spirits. And so I apply the same thing to um, entities. And in, in the case of that book, what I also wanted to do was walk people through my troubleshooting process and how to troubleshoot you know, a magical entity that isn't necessarily necessarily producing the results that you want, uh, as well as introduce people to my specific process for creating a magical entity. Amazing. Um, so, so what is the process of creating a magical entity? Well, so first you need to determine if in fact a magical entity is the best possible solution for the problem you're trying to resolve or whatever the situation is. Sometimes, it is, and sometimes it isn't. Um, and then at, once you've determined that, you you need to basically determine what the magical entity is going to actually do for you, like what, what its functions are, uh, as well as its fuel source, its housing, and all the other relevant details that are going to help you to create an entity that gets results. So as an example, let's say that you decided to... Um, do a uh, uh, you, you decided your desired result was a, a job mm-hmm. now you know you could do you could do some practical magic just to get a job you know some you know what and like a sigil or something like that and that's fine but let's say you decided you wanted to take a long-term approach to uh, your career then it might be a better idea to create a a job hunting slash career building entity where its focus is really on helping you to not only get a job, but then to work your way up in that job, you know, work your way up the ladder or find opportunities that will allow you to advance, uh, advance and get promotions and raises and take on more responsibilities and things like that. So um, it's, it's a question of figuring out like what, you ultimately want to accomplish and why the other aspect to it is as well is that sometimes you can be too personally involved in a magical working and a magical entity 
can be the perfect response to that because it's not going to have the same emotional investment that you're going to have. So it can provide a, a level of objectivity that will help you to accomplish your goal without you being necessarily so involved in it. Um, so let's say like, like somebody other, like a practical magic approach would basically be like a one-time deal where creating the entity is a long, it's more long-term. It's going to help you out, you know, for, I guess, as long as you need it. Is that? Yeah, that's uh, basically the gist of it. And, and, and where, you know, having a long-term, having an entity for the long-term could be really helpful for you in terms of getting, helping you to accomplish the desired results that you want to achieve. Um, so far as time and effort and energy, um, how much difference is the difference between having to do like a practical magic spell and creating an entity? Is it's creating an entity way more involved? Um, I don't, I don't think it's way more involved. I mean, certainly like with, with the, the approach that I take, you could probably get it done in under an hour. Um, you know, I have like a worksheet that I, that I use. So, you know, you, you, you define the desired result, you create the name of the entity, you create the programming symbol from that name. Then you decide what the housing is. You decide what the, what actions the entity is going to take and how it's going to be fed, all that other stuff. So once you've written all that out, then you actually go through and create the particular housing. And in my case, uh, you know, I might do like a painting, like some of the paintings on back here are, of um, magical entities that I've worked with. And so um, it's, it's, you know, it's uh, practical magical working might not take as long, but like with a magical entity, it's still not a time intensive process by any means. Oh. Um, was something like a mojo hand be considered a magical entity? Uh, I don't practice hoodoo, so I can't really speak to that, uh, whether that would or wouldn't. Um, and that's assume, that's that's where I'm assuming you're getting the the term mojo hand from. Um, so it might be, it might not be. I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah, because I it was interested to ask because it was the process that was described to me with with those was very similar. You know, you you, you decide what you want. You put a bunch of things into a bag. You sew the bag shut. You feed it, and and you get results. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, if, if they're considering that as an entity that they're creating or or is it just a magical working that they're feeding, I, you know, I guess it really kind of comes down to how they define that. Like for me, uh, in, in this specific case, when I talk about creating a magical entity, I'm literally talking about creating a spirit for yes. the purposes of achieving a specific result. And so it's, it's, you know, with that, I'm not sure what that would be, if that would be something else or, or not. And again, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm only commenting on it from the perspective of someone who's never practiced to do. So I'm by no means claiming I'm an expert on that at all for anyone who's, who's listening or watching this. Um, but just from what you've told me, it, it does sound a bit different, but again, I don't know if it is or isn't. Yeah. I don't know either. I don't know. I, I should have asked when I was doing those interviews about that to get deeper into it. Um, so, so with the magical entity, like, um, uh, do they communicate? Like, can you communicate them? Like, 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 say you kind of like want to repurpose one or, or, or change direction. Can you do that? 
Um, well, you know, that's, that's where I treat the magical entity kind of like as a, as a programming, you know, so when I first create the magical entity and I have the worksheet, let's say that, you know, I've, I've created and I've worked with it for a little while and it's not quite producing the results that I want. That's where I'm going to go in and work on that worksheet and make some uh, changes to it. Hold on for one second. I'm just going to close the door here. Sorry about that. My cat batted the door open, which meant then that all the sounds outside were coming in and I want to be able to actually hear you. So anyways, it was saying like I would go in and, and take that worksheet and reprogram, reprogram it. So that way, uh, you know, I might change some of the instructions or I might change some of the information. But at the same time, you can communicate with an entity. I mean, I, I kind of think of it as for, for me, the way that, that, that my magical entities communicate, it's more of like an, a feeling of intuition or a sense of aesthetic awareness or a kinesthetic awareness, I should say, where it's, it's connecting with me in that way. And it's kind of, you know, or, you know, again, it's, it's looking at the results. Is it getting the results that I want? Right. But mainly, mainly when I go in and I, I do, like if I do troubleshooting on a magical entity, I am looking at the, at what that that actual entity is accomplishing, um, and and then I, I look at the programming and I see like, have I factored in all the things that I wanted to with this programming? Is it getting the right fuel source or things like that? And that's why I always recommend keeping like a worksheet of the actual entity creation process because then you can go in and make whatever changes you need to make. And, and like one of the things like like what I, I used to read about like for magical entities, like you had to like make a box by hand and all that. And, and it seems like your approach, like even by using a painting as a housing is way more uh, easier to do and more practical. Well, yeah, I, I don't believe in, in making things any more complicated than they have to be. So like I will always opt for the route that, allows you to get something done without it becoming overly elaborate. Like in the case of uh, like creating an entity, I'll use a drawing or a painting uh, because the drawing or painting is a lot easier to create and it still serves the same purpose of being a housing or, or like if I have a statue uh, or, or like some clay or something like that, I'll create a statue for the entity or, if, or if I have like an existing statuette or something like that, then I might attach the entity to that. I don't, I, I don't think you have to get too elaborate with the creation process unless you want to. And I think a lot of times, you know, people make, make things more complicated than they have to be when in fact all you really have to do is create something simple and easy out, out of what you have available to you. Hmm. Um, so do you think it matters like how much energy you put into like the creating the entity entity um, versus how much you'll like get out of it later on? Um, I really don't because the creation process is kind of its own thing. Like, so when I'm in that process of creating the entity, I'm figuring out like what its fuel source is going to be. And it, usually it's fuel source is going to be, might be the activities that I'm doing you know, like for example, around a job, you know, around a job, it might be the job hunting activities, the interviews, the resumes, things like that. It could also be the, the interactions around, um, 
like what you do in the job itself and your career and things along those lines. So, I mean, it could be all of those different things and it can, and, and so, you know, like in, in terms of that, like when I create the entity, that in and of itself is kind of its own act, but then the fuel sources that it draws upon are, are a different thing. And then in terms of what the results that it produces, I find that, you know, if you have it, if you have it set up right, basically what happens is, is, is it, it becomes an ongoing result where it's always creating and manifesting what you're looking for. So, you know, in the case of like the, the job hunt or whatever else is doing that, or in the case of the entity that I have connected with my car, it's an entity that basically makes sure that I'm driving safe, I'm not getting speeding tickets and things like that. It's going to, again, be, be something that is continually being fed by the process in and of itself. And so it continually produces that result because that's the optimal way for it to get fed. So I, I keep things very streamlined, really, when it comes to the way that I work with, when, I, when it comes to the way that I create magical entities and work with them, because the more streamlined it is and the more that you feed the actual process of what it's supposed to help you accomplish into it, the easier it is to get those results because you're creating a path of least resistance. That makes sense. And like, like as you're like in your example with, uh, you know, the feeding the entity is the simple act of actually driving the car um, makes it a lot easier. You know, like, um, you know, like, the, you know, like I'm used to like people having, altars and incense and candles and water and cauldrons and you know like an endless amount of stuff just to support one thing um and, and to try to keep it going and, and, and to streamline that it really does sound like it makes it way more practical and something that everybody could use rather than you know, just an advanced uh, magician. Right. Well, I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is people often make things a lot more complicated than they need to. Um, and, and, and don't get me wrong. I understand why, you know, I mean, if you read in a book that you're supposed to have X, Y, and Z, and you're supposed to use this and that component and do all these other things in order to get things to happen, then uh, that will, and, and you think that's what you have to do, then that's what you end up doing. But I, that's one of the reasons why I try to present a, a more streamlined and simplified approach to magical work, because I don't think it needs to be ter too terribly complicated in order to get results. And also because what it comes right down to is you, you, you really have to figure out like, okay, well, what are the, what's the underlying process here that you're really trying to go for? And do you need all these things or are you just telling yourself you need these things because you read it in a book or because someone presented it that way? And that's, that's where, you know, it, it can be useful to take something that someone shared and try and change some things up in it and see if you can still get the same results or better results. Because if you can figure that out, then you start to rely less and less upon prescribed notions of how to do something. And instead you start looking at it as, a, as descriptive and it's like, okay, it's descriptive of this. What can I change about that description to get what I, to, to, to get the same result? Right. Um, so since the last time I talked to you, I've interviewed, you know, a few other occultists. And mm -hmm. um, one of the things, like when I first interviewed you, you, you were like, you know, I, I'm kind of different than those guys. I kind of do my own thing. You know, I have my own system. And what I learned, though, from talking to some of those other people is 
it, it, they almost all said the same thing about this. It, this one common denominator is that it's not true magic until you started creating your own system, <laughs> which goes right, right back to like what you're exactly doing. Well, you know, I, I mean, the thing, the, the thing of it is, is that you have a lot of books out there that kind of present magic a certain way. You know, you have people who say this, but then, you know, as you become more and more experienced as a magical practitioner, you begin to discover that, in fact, you have a lot more um, say in, in things than you realized. And so, you, you know, people come up with their own systems uh, as a result that make more sense to them because as they become, as they get more and more experienced, they start to rely less and less upon the books and more and more upon their own experiences and what they've discovered and observed. And that's really how it should be. Yeah. And, and I think also, um, you know, certain people's living situations can restrict what they're doing. So say, yeah. say like somebody's like living with their parents or in a, in a small apartment and they don't want their parents to know because they're say they're super religious, you know, that, that person is not going to be able to have like an altar and all kinds of magical tools and stuff like that and, and do a lot of what is in some of these other books. Um, so so it, it prevents them from doing that. And your system does not. Your system kind of opens a door for pretty much anybody in any circumstance to be able to practice. Well, I mean, I've lived in some of those circumstances. I mean, when you live in a in a small apartment, you know, and you only have so much space and and you're, you're, you're not, you don't exactly have access to, you know, a fancy occult store or whatever. And you, or you don't necessarily have the means to afford all the gear, all the, all the bling and everything else. You, you have to get creative. I mean, and that's, 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 you know, a huge part of it. Like you can't just automatically go with, okay, well, I need to get this incense of this. I mean, what if you're not allowed to burn incense in your apartment? What if you're not allowed to have a candle in your apartment? What if, you know, you're not allowed to do X, Y, and Z. So I think, you know, a lot of times people, uh, you know, find, begin to find that necessity is the, uh, the mother of invention, right? So they, they start to discover, well, okay, I need to be able to take the circumstance that I'm in and change it around and, and, and transform it in a way that's going to actually make sense for me and is going to help me accomplish whatever it is that I want to accomplish and, and, and that's always been my case. The other, the other aspect to it is that, again, I like to take apart a, a given magical system or working and, and kind of discover, well, what makes it really work and what can we change about it? Because if we know that something, if we, if we know that we don't need to do X, Y, and Z in order to accomplish the same, the same purpose, uh, then, then we should necessarily say, okay, let's ditch that and find something that actually does work for us. Or let's change it around and, and, and turn it into something that, that's workable for my living circumstances mm-hmm. or my situation. And, and so that's how I've always tried to present my own work because of, because of my own experiences around that. Also, when you were just talking, like, I don't know, my mind just sort of traveled back to like, you know, probably like early practitioners of, of, of magic. Like, you know, we're, we're probably using primitive things like twigs and rocks and you know whatever they had access to and then i guess maybe at some point it fell into the hands of someone else and maybe they've you know 
tried to make it into something for a select few. Um, and it, you know, and it's like you're kind of bringing it back around full circle to to where originally, how it original originated. Well, I think the secret thing to remember, the, the the biggest secret about magic that maybe isn't shared shared out there, but it's true, is that you know, it, at at some point, and, and this is true about religion too, is that at some point someone had to come up with it. Well, how do you come up with something? You have to take what you have around you and make it meaningful and significant to you. And if you can make it meaningful and significant to you, and then you can use that to get to accomplish something, then, then you have essentially turned it into a magical working or whatever it is. You've, you've turned it into something of significance to you. And then, you know, after, after a little while, you know, people will maybe start to formalize stuff like that. Well, you've got to use stone X instead of that stone over there because this mm-hmm. stone is the, is the one that, but, but they don't necessarily question, well, why is that the case? Why do I have to use that particular stone uh, as opposed to this one? Why wouldn't this other one work? And, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, there can be very valid reasons for certain associations to be with certain things. Like you go in and you look at, at, at you know, something like quartz, you know, as a, as a crystal, as opposed to a different type of one. You know, there may be very specific certain traits that are associated with one type of stone over another, but I think at the end of the day, it really comes right down to how do you take what you've got around you, whatever that is, and turn it into something that's viable? Because unless, unless you're, you're walking around and you've got a, a, ton of, a ton of money, you may not be able to necessarily afford all the fancy tools and everything else. And, and, you, and, and you don't necessarily need them. I mean, and if you feel like you do, then I mean, go, go ahead and get that stuff or try to and see what happens, but then try it without it. And try a magical working without those same tools and see what happens. That's, that's really how I learned. I mean, I, there was one time like in my early, early twenties, I would say where, you know, you would have found me with like, you know, the, the athame and the ceremonial sword and the, the staff and all, all the other, all the other bling, you know, I mean, I did have it at one time and I used it, but at a certain point in time, I got tired of hauling it around. And then when I got tired of hauling it around, I also decided that, you know, if I got tired of hauling it around, like what could I do without it? And I started to get rid of those things that I didn't need. And again, it's not to say there isn't a place for magical tools or things Mm -hmm. like that. I mean, there can be very valid reasons for working with a given tool or, or, or something along those lines, but there can equally be valid reasons for trying something else just to see what happens. Right. Um, you've seen the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks, right? Yeah, I have. Would Wilson, count as a magical entity yeah why not i mean he helps to he he helps keep tom hanks sane, but he also be kind of kind of becomes his own being for all intents and purposes that's like one of the cool things about that movie is you know how how, you know his relationship between him and the bat like a a bat you feel bad when the basketball is floating away in the ocean you know and it's like oh it's just a basketball who would care about an old basketball Right. But for him, it became something so much more. It became a way for him to connect meaningfully with the world around him. So it, it became its own thing. And yeah, that could definitely be a viable example of a magical entity. And hopefully we don't, we don't put ourselves into the, we're not put into those kinds of circumstances. Cause I mean, that would really suck, but you know, I mean, you got to do what you got to do to survive yeah. and hopefully stay somewhat sane. Yeah. I don't know why I, I just thought of that. <laughs> you know? No, it's a good example. Yeah. Um, 
but it does seem like like a very simplistic way of of, of you know an analogy for your approach, I guess. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, how about the uh, book? Your other book, Walking with Spirits. So, Walking with Spirits is the sequel to uh, Walking with Magical Entities, and it basically presents my overall comprehensive approach to working with spirits. I'm going to have more books in the series down the line, but in this case, Walking with Spirits was kind of meant to present the theoretical framework for how I work work with spirits and. And, and I chose, you know, I chose the phrase because, because for this entire series, the, the phrase walking with is used, you know, so it's going to be walking with elementals and nature spirits, walking with demons, walking with angels. And I chose those, that, that phrase very purposely because a lot of how spirits are talked about and written about is from a, a place of coercion of control. You know, like you have people trying to control spirits, trying to coerce them to do things, trying to get things to happen. And uh, with them, but, you know, trying to force them to do it. Like, you know, like someone works with a demon and they're going to call up, uh, they're going to call up some angels first and basically have those angels lay the smack down on the demon. If the demon doesn't do what you <laughs> want it to do. Well, I, I've never taken that approach. I mean, my, my approach has yeah. always been to just work directly with, you know, a demon without necessarily calling up angels ahead of time or to work with our angels or archangels separately um, and, and again, never from a place of trying to coerce or control them, but instead coming at it from a place of let's let's set up a mutually beneficial relationship where you tell me what you want and I'll tell you what I want. And we decide if, if that is agreeable. And if it is agreeable, then we go ahead and we work on it. We work on it together. And if it's not agreeable, then we uh, then, you know, we part ways and, and never shall we meet again or something to that effect. Mm hmm. It's interesting. I, I recently also did an interview with somebody who um, has a practice called uh, Demon Ultry. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had the same approach, the same thing. You know, she wasn't using like higher entities to beat down a demon and, and try to control it. It was more of a, well, hey, you know, if you do this for me, what can I do for you? And, and just kind of go from there. Right. Well, and and I'm, I was that Stephanie uh, Colony Reisner or someone else. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It was Stephanie. Yeah. 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 So I'm. I'm. She and I are good friends. So yeah. I. I mean, I'm familiar with her approach, and I. I, I respect her work. I like that. Like it for that reason. And it really comes right down to the fact that again, you you have to, you you kind of have to ask yourself, how do you want to show up? It's like being. It's like being a neighbor, like to somebody. Like, do you want to be a good neighbor? do you want to be someone who just never interfere, you know, interacts with your neighbors, nothing wrong with that? Or do you want to be a bad neighbor? Well, I don't want to be the obnoxious bad neighbor, you know, that's, that's, that's upsetting my neighbors. I either want to be, I either don't, don't want to interact with them at all. Cause you know, I'm doing my own thing. Or if I'm going to interact with them, I want to be a good neighbor, have a good relationship with them, you know, make sure we're working together and that, you know, there's no, no bad disagreements or stuff like that. I think it's pretty telling that when you look at, when you look at stories about people who try to control spirits, you, you know, you end up inevitably hearing disaster stories where they try to control the spirits and then, you know, something bad happened with the spirits, the spirits kind of like kick back or, or, you know, tried to attack them or whatever else. And they had bad experiences. I've never had any of those bad experiences that people talked about. I mean, I've, you know, I've had some very transformative experiences. I've had some experiences where I definitely came away, you know, 
looking at myself and, and how I showed up in the world differently as a result of, of what those spirits revealed to me. But I've never had anything catastrophic like having my house burnt down or having, you know, some kind of health issue or whatever else happened. So I think, you know, you kind of, what I always say in regards to anything like this is that you have to look at the results. You know, the results are going to tell you what is, are going to tell you a lot about what's happening. And if the results aren't what you want them to be, that's when you need to go back to the drawing board and change what you're doing, change your process, figure out what isn't working. And in my case, I always found that with, with spirits right from the beginning, that if I worked with them from a place of collaborative respect, I got a lot more out of that relationship than if I had tried to coerce them. I never really ever tried to coerce a spirit, but it just it was one of those cases where I found that, you know, this gets better results because I'm working with the spirit and the spirits, the spirit and I are coming to a, a mutual, a mutually agreeable solution where we're, we're getting stuff out of it. And if, if, if spirit doesn't want to work with me, then that's okay. I can just let that go. You know, like I've had spirits that I've occasionally connected with and they're like, no, we don't want to connect. Okay. Fair enough. You, you don't have to. Right. Um, so what type of, like, what is the difference between like, an angel, a demon, elemental, um, and whatever else might be out there? Well, I mean, part of it is a function of categorization. You know, people categorize things by, based on their experiences with them. And so I think we have to acknowledge that, first of all, that, you know, people are applying a human lens to their interaction with right. spirits. Uh, with that even said, I mean, you know, I would say that, for example, an elemental is going to be very much embedded in nature. In, in the actual natural elements. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be kind of the forces that move us. Now, my definition of elementals is a little bit different. I don't just limit them to earth, air, fire, and water, uh, and spirit. Um, I, I look at it as like what, what moves us, you know, in other ways. So like gravity, for example, could be an elemental force. Right. Time can be an elemental force. Space can be an elemental force. But for that matter, Love can be an elemental force. I mean, uh -huh. love moves us, right? You know, so I mean, there's, there's different. So, so, so my, my notion of what an elemental is, is a little bit outside the box of even just the classic definition. Uh, but like, you know, you look at like a, a demon or an angel. Well, you know, demons are traditionally spirits of knowledge and information. They're a bit closer to the, the realm of, uh, or, or to our plane of existence. Um, they are, you know, some people consider them to be spirits that are trying to break stuff down. They're still able to get results, but they're more on the, on the, uh, on, on the end of trying to break things down or to take stuff apart. Um, I don't know if I entirely agree with that, but it's an interesting perspective. And then you have angels that are much, that seem to be or seemingly much more functional based. You know, they're, they're, they're very much focused around trying to fulfill their own functions and, you know, if they're working with you, it's, it's, it seems, it seems to me from my own experience that it's like, okay, I want you to accomplish this function or I, I'll help you because it relates to my function. And that's mm -hmm. why I'll work with you. And then of course you have deities, which are, you know, God or gods, you know, spirits that are, that are worshiped. And Is that um, like a celestial. Yeah. It might be a celestial being like, you know, um, like, like the Norse gods or, or what, what have you. And, and I think what I find fascinating about, about, about gods and deities is how human-like they are, you know, how they very much have the same kind of, the same human tendencies, the insecurities, the jealousies, all that other stuff. So 
I, I'm always kind of like, well, I can work with them, but you know, it's, it's very, it's very interesting to me because they're not, they're, they are simultaneously closer to us than other uh-huh. spirits. And yet in some ways they're also further removed because they're not, they are, and they aren't like us. And so it's an interesting, always interesting to work with a, with a, with a spirit like that. And then, I mean, what I would throw out there too is that, um, you know, I consider, I, I do a lot of, you know, I do pop culture magic. So like pop culture spirits, you know, people that would consider like something like Harry Potter to be fictional or something like, um, uh, you know, other forms of pop culture to be fictional. But I think that it's a legitimate way for spirits to connect with us and to interact with us. And so, you know, people I have created viable magical practices around pop culture magic and around working with spirits that are originate from pop culture. And, and, mm-hmm. and I think in a lot of way, really, I mean, pop, the pop culture today is like the mythology of yesterday, right? It's, it's basically a way for us to interact with stories that we find meaningful and we can connect with the characters or spirits that are represented in those stories. Interesting. Um, how about thought forms? Are, are thought forms like a spirit or are they more like a, a creation? Thought forms, uh, thought forms from my experience are more or less a creation of like a magical entity. You're, you're taking a part of yourself and you're, you're basically aspecting it outward, you know? So like maybe you're working with a thought form around, you know, sadness or, or a thought form around, you know, or, or a thought form around something you really want or whatever. Um, but it's still, it's, it's a part of you, but it's been, it's, it's kind of become its own thing as well that you can work with. And really, it, it really, if, if you look at the concept of a thought form, I mean, it, you know, the theosophists were the first ones in Western culture to talk about it, but where they got it from was from Tibet and from the practice of yeah. creating a tulpa where again, you know, a tulpa could be, a spirit of, of, of a specific desire or a spirit of anger or a spirit of whatever else could, and could become its own thing. So, so they are created entities and it's just a different form of a created entity because it's, it's based very much around taking an aspect of the person and, and turning it into its own thing. Um, so for example, like say, uh, I wanted a entity, um, I wanted to contact the entity that's just going to make me f- more make my thinking more flexible and less rigid. What kind of entity would you suggest for that type of scenario? Well, I mean, you could work with a spirit of creativity if you wanted to, for example, uh, or like a, or like an elemental spirit. But if you wanted to create an entity around that, I would say that you might, you know, you might look at like what, what kind of, what would you want that entity to do? So for example, on the wall behind me, uh, over here, yeah, that and that picture right behind me with, mm-hmm. looks like it has like a bird kind of, that's an entity that I created there and its purpose is to kind of, is to help keep me creatively inspired and to, and to kind of help me to focus on my my writing and, and, and things like that. And, um, you know, in this case, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a motivation entity really because I want to be sure that I'm, you know, getting writing out there and that I'm working on stuff. And so I created it as a way to, to kind of be that bird in my ear that, you know, whispers to me and says, Hey, here's this idea that you're working on. Here's a way to break through that writer's block. Here's this, here's that. So, so, I mean, it it depends on like what you want it to do as well. You, You have to kind of think it through, like what, what do you want? 
you know, if you, you know, creativity is such a broad subject in a way. So you have to kind of figure out, okay, well, what do I want it to help me do creatively? Like, what is that really, that's the first step. And like in my case, I wanted an entity that would help me work through writer's block or through, or kind of help keep me on track with my writing, things like that. So it's, it's, it's definitely, there's an aspect of creativity to that, but also there's an aspect of discipline and focus. So there's definitely both. They kind yeah. of do go, they do go hand in hand, creativity and discipline. They really do. I mean, if I don't, if I don't get up and write each day, then, you know, writing isn't happening and books aren't getting produced. Yeah. Um, so like, I know like, like, you know, people obviously they hear, you know, some of this kind of stuff and they become afraid. You know, they become intimidated, like especially like the word demon. People are like, oh man, you shouldn't be messing with demons. They're going to ruin your life and take your soul and all that kind of thing. Um, and then they start getting into like, you know, protection, mm-hmm. you know. Um, do, you, do you have any, ever had any of those experiences or ever had to use protection against the entity? I've never had to use protection against a spirit per, you know, in my life. I mean, I've always, but, but again, my approach has always been to work with them collaboratively. I mean, I've even had, I've even had the occasional situation where someone sent a hostile spirit toward it to attack me. And what I've ended up doing is basically befriending that spirit and getting that spirit to, to work with me instead, because usually people who've done that have coerced the spirit into doing what it's doing anyway. So, you know, I just free it of the coercion and then, and then say, if you want to work with me, you can. And if you don't, then go on your way. Either way, I'm not going to do anything. And I've never, and, and so I've never really had any of the, the, those kinds of stories. I think the other thing you have to keep in mind is that there's a lot of cultural baggage, uh, a lot of religious cultural baggage yes. that we, that we deal with and inherit, you, you know, um, some, some of that of course is based in, in Christianity and how Christianity has, you know, demonized different, you know, spirits, but, but I mean, we can go even further back and we could definitely say, okay, a spirit of this culture is a trickster spirit. Like Loki is a trickster of the Norse gods or whatever else. Well, we should be careful working with that spirit because that that spirit could trick us. Well, there's truth to that, but that's where, you know, if you're going to work with that kind of a spirit, you have to basically know what the rules are and Mm -hmm. be prepared to uh, be, be prepared to basically know what you need to do. I mean, I, I definitely would say to anyone who wants to work with spirits, like, do your homework, do your research. You know, I don't just go and say, okay, today I'm going to work with a goetic demon because I feel like it. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out like, what do I even want to accomplish in the first place? And then if, if a demon is the kind of spirit I'm going to work with, I'm going to be asking myself, well, how is that? How can I work with that spirit? Like, what would be the best way to work with that spirit? And then from there, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, uh, you know, contact and connect with that spirit. And, and you know, I've done some research um, and, and, and start building a relationship and see if the spirit even wants to work with me. So I think, you know, it, 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 it boils down to really the fact that you have to be willing to do the research. And, of course, it really doesn't help that, you know, you do have a lot of books out there where basically the approach is anything but that. It's like, well okay, you want to work with the spirit, work with the spirit and basically command it to do what you want it to do. You know, I, I always find that approach problematic because it's, it's again, it's, it's that, that coercive approach. It's all about trying to control the spirit, mm-hmm. but also because I don't know that people necessarily will have done the necessary research they need to. If I just pick up a, a grimoire or a random book 
of spirits, like 72 angels of this or that. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to work with this angel today. Cause I want this. It's like, well, a, do you even, you know, you know, are you even sure that what's in that book is accurate? And if it is accurate, even so, how do you, do you really want to approach the spirit that way? Just because that's what's in the book. I think that, you know, people, if, if you're going to work with spirits, like do your own research and really spend some time figuring out like how you're going to work with that spirit and what kind of arrangements you want to make with that spirit. Um, be, because that's what it really boils down to. And, and of course, you know, you always need to follow through on your end of the agreement. If I'm going to, yeah tell a spirit that I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, then I better be prepared to do X, Y, and Z. Otherwise the spirit's going to be well within its right to say, well, you haven't delivered on your end. So why should I deliver on mine? Or, or I delivered on my end, but you didn't deliver on yours. So I'm going to do something to mess with you. Okay. You, you, you brought that on yourself. And I think a lot of times people go into this situation, go into a situation with a spirit or for that matter, another person or whatever else. And, and they don't own their own end of responsibility. Like if, you know, it takes, it takes two people or, or a person in the spirit or whatever it takes, you know, it takes two to have a relationship, at least two. And you have to always, you always have to be willing to own your end of, of that relationship. <laughs> you won't necessarily, and, and at the same time, you won't necessarily find that other people or spirits are willing to own their end. And, and so you right. have to be prepared for that too. That almost sounds like marriage counseling. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, romantic relationships are perfect examples of that because how many times do you have a, a situation where people get into a fight and, you know, neither side is willing to take responsibility or only one side is willing to take responsibility. It's like if, if only one person is willing to take responsibility, you know, that relationship's in trouble because the other person isn't willing to see their end of things and what they need to do to at least address the situation. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I have two questions. One actually is a question that I, I thought of asking you after the last time I talked to you. Okay. And it's sort of back off to back, sort of back to the, the pop culture part of it. Um, uh, one of the things that I was, that popped, I thought of like afterwards, I was like, um, you know, like, like at first when I talked to you, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, this is really unique and completely different. And I've never really, you know, heard of this. And then I sort of remembered like, oh, yeah, well, there was the Necronomicon and all that HP Lovecraft stuff, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and people use it. Right. And, um, and, and I was just wondering, you know, is there similarities between that and what you're doing? Well, I mean, basically that is pop culture magic right there, you know, like the Necronomicon, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. That's a particular form of, that's a particular pop culture magic system. And I think it's like the earliest example of pop culture magic that you can find out there. Certainly one of the earlier examples. So yeah. And you know, very viable. I, there certainly are people who've done stuff with it. I don't know that I would touch it too much. I mean, I, when I first started practicing magic, I remember get picking up a copy of the Necronomicon and trying some of the stuff and I thought it was kind of neat, but in the end I was kind of like, yeah, this isn't really my thing. And, and of course I didn't really necessarily want to make a, dar- a, a bargain with one of the great old ones, you know, and then, uh-huh. and then find out that, you know, my, my head was going to get ripped off by tentacles or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I hate it when that happens. Yeah, you, you and me both, man. <laughs> and the other one I was just thinking that as we were just talking back to the, the, this current conversation that we're having, 
when you're talking about choosing entities and going through books and, and you know selecting the correct entity, um, is there a way rather than going through all the trouble of researching and everything to sort of just call put out just to call forth the right entity, like ask the ask the cosmos or whatever to say, hey, send me an entity that could, could uh, you know, help me with such and such. I would be really wary of doing something like that because you just don't know what you're going to get. Because, I mean, you could have a spirit that presents itself as a certain way, but it wouldn't necessarily be what you thought it was. I mean, that's a good example of like a trickster spirit or whatever else. So that I think that this is why I always recommend doing your research. Like if you're going to work with a, a particular spirit and you're going to develop a relationship with it, find out about it first. Like what is it you're really getting into? Mm-hmm. You know, what is it that you need to know about that, that spirit? Um, you don't, you don't want to find out in the midst of the relationship that you're having. Like, you know, if you call, let's say you call a spirit and, and you're like, Oh, Hey, I want to work with you but I haven't really done any of my research. Well, I mean, that, that, that leaves the door wide open for, for lots of potential issues. And I mean, I, I, as someone, again, who advocates a respectful approach, I think part of that respect is that you do that research. You're respecting yourself as much as the spirit then because you're finding out like, well, what am I getting into? Mm-hmm. Not that you're necessarily signing away your soul or anything like that because you're not, but that you're just like, okay, this is what I'm really getting into here. This is actually you know, if I'm going to work with a, a, a spirit, I better know what it is that I'm working with and, and find out like what I need to, to, to know. So I wouldn't take that approach. I mean, you know, if someone wants to, they can, but just, you know, buyer beware. Hmm. So um, with, with that, along those lines, uh, so, I mean, one of the things like, I, I, I mean, Okay, we're going to go with the entities that we know have already been out there, which means they've already been documented. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also would think that there has to be billions of entities out there that are still undocumented, that we are not aware of, that, that human beings have not worked with yet. And, and how would somebody approach those? Well, I mean, that's, that's a case of, of you know, then you, you kind of have to figure out how you would even connect with them in the first place. And do they even want to connect with you? Do they even care? You know, I mean, the, 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 I would agree that there's, there's the distinct possibility that there are other spirits or entities out there that we haven't connected with. The question is, you know, is, is the reason they haven't connected with us because they don't care because we're just not that relevant to them? I mean, I know human beings like to think that we're like the center of the universe, but really we aren't, you know, we're on a, we're on a planet, the third, the third planet from the sun in a little galaxy, uh, you know, on, on the edge of that galaxy, no less, you, you know? So it's like, and, and in the grand, and the grand scheme of things, like a hundred years from now, like I, you and I are both going to be dead. I, I mean, anyone listening, you know, who's, who's watching this today is going to be, or, you know, whenever they're watching, it's going to be dead probably. Uh, there's going to be, you know, some people who are alive, but are we going to matter at that point? Maybe. I mean, you know, I, I'm not trying to be bleak here or anything, no, but it, I, just, it makes sense. You know, we, it, I think one of the huge mistakes that humans make is we take ourselves way too seriously. We think we're like this long-term thing and we're not. We're really not. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 44 come, come Wednesday, October 21st, right? Happy so, birthday, you know, man. maybe I have another good 
30, 40, maybe even 50 years left in me, right? You know, uh, maybe a little bit longer than that. Who knows? But, you know, someday I'm going to die from whatever. And, and that's okay. I mean, that's just part of life. That's, that's transition. And I'll move on to something else. And maybe I'll go to some other galaxy and become some other being, you know, some other inhabit, become something else altogether. Or maybe whatever. I don't know. But the thing is, is like, I don't think that, I think that people get so incredibly invested in this idea of, what they of 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 wanting to matter and i think that you know you can translate that into how they interact with spirits so like sure there are there unknown spirits out there there probably are do they even want to interact with us i don't know i mean i think if they want to interact with us they'll make themselves known and if they don't you know we can screech to the void and say hey i'm here i'm here mm-hmm. they're not going to necessarily care and and also you have to keep in mind that you may not necessarily want to get the attention of some of those spirits. I mean, despite, you know, despite the fact that I've, I've made it clear that, you know, my approach is very collaborative and stuff. I would also say that, you know, not all spirits are inherently friendly. You know, there's, there is a good reason to take precautions. There is a good reason to recognize that some spirits might be inimical to our version of life that they might, you know, they might be something else. All they might represent a different order of being altogether. That might not. That might not care for us. Do we really want to call attention to that? It's kind of like. It's kind of like. Do we really want aliens to come visit our planet? We probably don't in the grand scheme of things. Because if aliens are coming to our planet, they probably have better technology. They probably are not going to have our best interest in, at heart because they're probably going to be similar to us in some ways. And, and, and I, and, and I don't mean to be pessimistic here, but the majority of human <laughs> beings that I've met over the years tend to be selfish and self oriented and, and don't necessarily think of the good of all mankind, you know, and, yeah. and that's okay. I mean, that's just part of the human life, but let's own that and, and recognize that. And we should apply that same thing. And, and, and I think that, you know, you do see that even like with the spirits we do have access to. Uh, you know, I'm all for working for, with, with spirits collaboratively and in a relationship, but I recognize that a spirit, that when I work with a spirit, you know, I have to, I have to understand what it wants. I have to come to some kind of arrangement or an understanding. And, and you know, it's, it's not going to just do what it does out of the goodness of its own heart. There's, there's going to be a benefit there. And I, and I think in general, when you look at why people do what they do, there's always an element of selfishness there. It's not a bad thing either to say it. I wish more people would admit it and be honest about it, but like you don't do what you do just out of, out of the goodness of your heart. You do it because there's an element of self-interest there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's part of the human condition, right? Right. And it might be part of just the condition of being a spirit or a living being of any type. Right. Um, I mean, the reason I asked that, that question is I, I mean, lately too, I've also been interviewing a lot of mediums Mm -hmm. and it seems like some of them, um, I don't know how to put it in, in in regular words, but you know they just sort of wander the astral plane and see what they run into. Okay. And 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 talk to different entities, and they don't seem you know it's it's not like they're uh, you know using like the Goetia or um, you know Enochian or you know, any type of specific system. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you can, you, you can certainly do some kind of astral projection and, and, and connect with spirits on the different planes. I mean, I, I'll tell you, I think that the astral plane is a very subjective thing. 
you look at like different books on the astral plane and some books you have, well, you have seven planes and others you have 10 planes and others you have, you know, X, Y, and Z planes. And it's like, okay, well, which is it? And I I don't think it's It's, objective. I think it's it's probably just infinite. (laughs) Well, I think it's, I think it's very personalized really to each person. And so then, you know, when you encounter a spirit on an astral plane, you kind of have to question, is that spirit an objective spirit or is that something that I'm creating because I need it to be significant or special to me? My own, my own theory about the astral plane is that it's really just the realm of, it's, it's the realm of imagination, which is a very powerful thing. And it's the realm where the human superconsciousness connects, you know, the, the, so it's, you know, you really where we connect with the superconsciousness of life, not even human superconsciousness. And so I could definitely see it as like an intersection where you meet with, with spirits if you want to. But I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily as significant as people make it out to be. I mean, go ahead and astral project. But I would say that like, my most meaningful interactions with spirits have been really as a result of how I have worked it through my body. Like, you know, one of the things that I talk about a bit in, um, in, in walking with spirits, and it's, it's kind of my, my approach to working with spirits and really just life in general is experiential embodiment. Like we embody what we work with. We, we connect with it. We use our bodies as part of the connection. And I think a lot of times what I see in, in general with, with spiritual work is that people are so busy trying to get out of their bodies. Like they don't seem to realize like what a miracle their body is. Because if you think about it, like why do spirits even connect with human beings in the first place? What's in it for them? Well, part of that might just be that we have this physical existence they don't have. Like they're able to influence things in certain ways that we're not but we're able to do things in ways that they're not because they don't have that physical existence. Right. Well, you know, they might want a taste of that. In fact, a lot of times that's been my experience with spirits is they want a taste of that. They want to experience that, that, that physical, those physical sensations. They want, mm-hmm. they want it. They want to know what it is we have. So I think in some ways we're as mysterious to spirits as they are to us. And, and I mean, I, I, I don't actually do a lot of astral projection anymore. I mean, my, most of my work is really in the body, uh, you know, through the body and, and the work that I do. And it's, it's because I think that it's such, a, it's such a finite existence. Like I said, you know, one day we're going to be dead. So someday I'm not going to have a body. My spirit is going to move on. And who knows how long I'll be in a, a decorporalized existence. I mean, maybe I'll move on to Nirvana or whatever. That's really not my goal. But you know, it, 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 it's, it's one of those things where it's like, enjoy it while you got it. Because once you don't have it, you don't got it. Interesting. Um, you know, you're, when I look at you, like, 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 I, yeah, you're like 40 years old, which is actually a pretty young guy in my book. Thank you. Okay. And you, you're, you're practicing, magic at a, a level that to me seems actually more advanced than, than some other people out there, you know, that are still stuck in like these specific systems. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, like, I don't know if you believe in reincarnation or not, but do you believe that maybe you've been a magician in the past and have been reincarnated now? Uh, to create this new system uh, something that was more practical for the modern world? It's entirely possible. I, I don't really worry about whether or not I lived past lives or not. I mean, I, I do think that reincarnation is a, is, is, is a distinct possibility. But 
I'm not here to live this life in order to remember past lives. Yeah. Those past lives, if they, you know, when they happened, if they happened, et cetera, they happened. I'm here to live this life and I'm here to show up for this life and I'm here to learn and I'm here to share what I, what I know. I mean, I, I would, I would certainly agree that I probably have an, a, an uncanny level of awareness and knowledge about some things that I might not otherwise, you know, if I'd only lived one life or something like that. Sure. I can, you know, see that. But I think that in terms of like what, what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and everything else, I mean, it, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, because I'm here, I'm writing books, I'm sharing, teaching classes, I'm, I'm doing other things and I'm learning as well. I mean, I'm always learning new things. And I think honestly, if you were to ask me what my primary purpose is, it's really to learn. It's not even, it's not even to, to teach or to share. I mean, I love, I love writing books, but I write books from a place of like, I'm trying to learn this stuff. And so by writing it, I'm also sharing what I'm learning. Oh yeah. And, and teaching and presenting as opposed to, well, I already know this stuff and I'm going to just disperse it out to you. It's really kind of a, it's, it's really as much for my own benefit as anything else. And again, I, I don't know if most authors look at it in that way, but that's how I look at it. Like when I teach a class or things like that, I'm always coming away, coming at it from a perspective of what can I learn from the experience as much as what, as, as well, as much as what have I actually done or, or, or why am I doing this? So you know, I, I certainly think reincarnation is possible. I think the thing that kind of sticks out to me is that when people get fixated on that or, or like really focused on that, I'm like, why are you trying to escape your life right now? Like, why are you getting so caught up in this past life? You live that life. Maybe there's, maybe there's certain karmic patterns that you need to work through. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why you're caught up in it because you had things happen in your past life and those karmic patterns are showing up in your life right now. And you need to work through those in order to get to a better place. Fair enough. I'll, I'll accept that as a viable answer. And, and sometimes that is the answer, but other times it seems to me like people romanticize past lives. Like they're like, I was Aleister Crowley or I was, I was Julius Caesar or whatever else. And it's like, well, who cares? You're not that person now. Right. <laughs> you're, you're you. And, and maybe your life really sucks right now, but it's, it's, it's the life you've got. So figure out a way to make the most of it. Figure out a way to make that life matter. I mean, yeah. in my next life, I could just be some, some person that works at a, at a shitty job somewhere and never amounts to much of anything. But that's going to be that life. And that life will have its own meaning and value to that version of myself, whoever that is. This life where I am fortunate enough to be a writer and to, to do the things that I'm able to do and, and, and work on what I want to work on, I'm going to savor it, enjoy it. But the moment I'm dead, you know, I'm going to be moving on because, and, and, and I don't know, I mean, that moment of death could happen at any moment. It could happen in the next moment. It could happen five years from now. It could happen 13, 15, you know, 50 years. I mean, I mean, you know, we don't have any guarantees. And I think that's the other thing, you know, people, people get caught up in the illusion of life. Yeah. But speaking as someone who's had some near death experiences, which perhaps lends to my perspective on the matter, I can tell you that, you know, your life could be gone in a moment. You know, I mean, we, we live, we're doing this, we're doing this interview during, uh, you know, during the COVID pandemic. And right now we're seeing a second spike, right? You know, yes. more cases are coming back. I mean, that's, 
that's a good example right there. You have over 200,000 people in the U.S. in the U.S. alone who didn't who I, I'm willing to guess that a year ago, if you talked to them, none of them would have said, yeah, probably going to die sometime within the next year. They didn't have any plans. They didn't expect it. Now, a lot of those people are older people. Maybe they knew that at some point they were going to die, you know, at some point. But I doubt that they understand, you know, that they could have pointed to that. And death, death comes when it comes. And, and, and the, and the need to sometimes to escape this life sometimes, I think that people demonstrate what they don't realize is that if you go to, like, if you were to go to any time period in this, in, in this, in this world, whether it's the future or the past or whatever else, people's lives aren't that much better or worse. You know, people struggle, people triumph, people make mistakes, etc. You go through history and I guarantee you that if you talk to someone from 200 years ago, other than the difference in technology, you would find that in a lot of ways they had a lot of similar concerns and fears and things like that. Mm-hmm. But people get so wrapped up in trying to be to not be themselves. And, and I feel like in a, in a way, like a huge part of at least of the current work that I'm doing is really about training people how to embrace who and what they are now and how to use that for their spiritual journey and their spiritual work. Because when you can truly embrace who and what you are in the moment, as painful as it might be, or as wonderful as it might be, that's when you begin to really discover the genuine reality of who and what you are and why you're here it's not being caught up in the fantasy it's not it's not wishing you were somewhere else it's it's being in the moment and Uh and not all moments are fun i mean you know i mean life life can be painful there can be suffering but how much of that even are we how much of that even are we inflicting on ourselves because we're so busy trying to get away from the experience instead of accepting it yeah yeah absolutely i think it it it, it, one of the things i've discovered with with pain and suffering in those type of situations the quicker i i accept them feel them and process them the quicker i'm able to feel better and just go back to enjoying life well i mean a lot of our pain is self-inflicted not all of it but a lot of it yeah it's resistance though i think i cause more i cause more pain to myself if i resist the pain rather than just yeah. Let it happen. Yeah, exactly. Man, you, you just said a whole bunch of beautiful stuff there, man. Well, thank you. <laughs> and um, so so how, how about the uh, – uh, this was a shocker, man, because I didn't catch it till like maybe 45 minutes ago and I was getting ready for this interview. And I said, oh, let me go check out what books he has again because I forgot from last time. And I'm like, wait a minute. There's a book here that just like came out this month. <laughs> it doesn't have to do with magic, but um, you know, it, it does have to do with how you um, you know become successful at writing. And, yeah, indie um, indie author business success. Yeah, and um, you know, like like honestly, like when I talked to you last time, and you told me what you've achieved as an independent writer and everything, it actually motivated me. Oh, and, cool. Um, and it made it like I said, you know what? If, if he can do this with writing, maybe I could do something like this with podcasting. So, so ever since then, like I mean, I I've been just, you know, cranking out like ten episodes a week, 
Oh, or, wow. Or every, you know, as much content as I possibly can, you know, just, you know, just, I just keep creating and trying to keep getting better at it, you know, and, uh, and, and it's been working now, you know, it's, it's definitely been growing. And then when I saw that book today, I was like really happy that you wrote that book because not only would you be inspirational to me, but now you can be inspirational to all those people who can just pick up your book and read it. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, so what, what brought you to, to writing that book and, uh, what, what does, you know, what are some of the tips that you can offer people? So in the author business success is a, is a book that kind of dis- discusses how to create the foundation of an indie author business. Like if you want to be an, an independent author, if you don't want to, you don't want to do traditional publishing, you want to actually go it, go it alone as it were. You know, what I really try to do is, is talk about the business aspect of that, because I think a lot of times, you know, people think that, you know, oh, you're going to be writing, you're going to be typing away on a keyboard, you know, off in a cabin somewhere or whatever, you know, very romantic view of the whole idea. But I mean, the reality of it is, is that, yes, you definitely are spending a lot of your time writing, but you're also spending some of your time marketing, you're, you're spending some of your time dealing with the other business aspects of being an author, especially if you're an independent author. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to write that book as a way of sharing kind of like what the, what the things are that you need to do if you want to become an independent author, or even if you already are an independent author, like what you should be looking at when it comes to, you know, your writing certainly, but also the marketing, um, the finances and other business aspects of, of, of being an author that I think a lot of people don't think about as much as they need to because, you know, they just want to write. It's like, yeah. it's great that you just want to write, but, but there's a lot more to, to it than just writing. I mean, you really have to look at it from the perspective of, for example, if, if you, you know, like if, if you want to make money at it, like what books are your best sellers and, and, and why are they your best sellers? You know, what, what is it that you're doing there that maybe you aren't doing with other books or, you know, like how, if you write fiction and nonfiction, how does your nonfiction, your approach to nonfiction differ from your fiction? And, um, you know, I, I, I decided to write this. I decided that I was going to write this book once I had, once I'd gotten out of my um, nine to five job, you know, once I, once I stopped working there, that that was going to be the first book I was going to write was going to be this book on how to become a successful thing. Because I felt like, you know, for me, that was kind of like, that was kind of my victory lap at that point. I had gotten out of the job, the day job. (laughs) And so here was this book that I was going to write that was really going to describe and discuss like what you need to do to build the foundation for your indie author business and, and also give people some ideas like what you need to do to work toward getting to that point where you're no longer working for someone else mm-hmm. because you're making enough money to cover, you know, the cost of, of not just your business, but also your living expenses. Yeah. So, you know, I think that a lot of times people, you know, they do something like writing, they go into it and they're like, Oh, you know, I really want to write cause I, I just want to share these stories. And that's great. But if you want to make it into a business, you have to think like a business owner. And, and really, like I, I drew on, in my case, I drew on my experience of being a business coach, you know, because I was a business coach for a number of years um, and, and, and coached other businesses and other business owners on their business. So I drew on that experience, but also just kind of the drawing on the experience of like what I, what I discovered when I decided to become an indie author which was back in like 2018 when I took back the rights to my books and published the, a couple of, of books separate from my publisher. That's, 
you know, that's when my journey began. And it was a two-year journey. I mean, it was almost literally a two-year journey because it was actually in June of 2018 that I published my first that I published my first major book, you know, like I had my magical journals published independently, but this was like the first time I published a book where people, I knew a lot of people were going to buy it. And so, you know, in the course of a little over two years, I was able to get to a point where I was able to free myself from working for someone else. And I wanted to share that because I think a lot of times, you know, if people want to do that, you have to have good, you have to have good understanding. Now, I'll admit I had an advantage that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily had. I already had a back catalog of books. I just took those back from the publisher and self-published them. But even so, I still had to have the necessary systems in place to make that business successful. Mm-hmm. And that's really what the book's about. So, so, um, like I know, I know for me, just just doing this podcast, um, you know, and like you, like it's been trial and error to figure out which episodes, you know get the most listens and stuff like that. Now I was actually been really surprised, honestly, like uh, how popular these occult episodes are, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the ones on magic, I guess, I guess it's something that not many podcasters want to touch. <laughs> I don't know. Or they just overlooked it. Um, but a lot of people seem to be interested in it. And I think the other thing too, um, uh, and, and it seems like you've got this down is you've created a brand, I think, mm-hmm. you know, you, you have, you know, your, your pop culture brand of magic going on. Like, like you carved yourself your own niche and, and you market it like hell. Like it's like, like you're everywhere, man. You know, like I'm, I'm getting, you, you spend like all this time writing on blogs and your newsletter and your videos. Um, you're just all over the place. It's amazing. Um, like, how much time? How do you split up your time? Like, how much time do you spend actually creating content versus the marketing aspect? Well, I mean, if you look at my my typical day, like I get up and I do my I do I do like a morning ritual, and then I spend about two to three hours exercising, doing um, qigong, um, and and then after that, you know, I'll. I'll start writing and working on stuff. So, I, I mean, the writing alone, you know, I'm, I'm probably spending a fair amount of time on the content, creating content, you know, each day. I don't always work on the weekends. I am right now because I'm trying to get my next fiction book, um, you know, wrapped up and, and out the door. Uh, but but I've, I've started taking weekends off once I, once I went full time because it was like, you know what, I have, I have time during the week now to work on this stuff. And I typically will spend anywhere between an hour to, to like maybe four or five hours writing sometimes more. Um, and then some days I do some marketing like on Fridays, I always, I write my newsletters and I write my, I write my blog content. Um, and then I do my videos. Like I do a video for the indie author, um, business uh, success channel on Tuesdays. And I do one on the magical experiments channel on Thursdays. Um, so, so, you know, I do have some of that content broken out, um, a, a bit, and I mean, I do, I do some marketing each day because you kind of mm-hmm. have to this, this last week I was a bit busier than normal. Cause I was also one of my marketing activities was getting, was getting uh, my books into placed into better browsing categories on Amazon in international markets. Yeah. You know, so I did some research on that and I still have a, a lot of that to do, but right now I've just decided to, to shelve that until I get this current book written. Right. Some of that stuff is kind of mysterious. <laughs> It can be. I mean, there, there, there's, there's, I'm actually going to have a video coming out this coming week on the browsing categories for the indie author um, business channel. But, 
I mean, a lot of it again comes right down to just doing your research and, 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 and doing the work. I mean, I've read a ton of books on being an indie author on the business of it, you know, before and, 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 and took those practices and implemented them. And, mm -hmm. and, and the same thing, like it's the same thing, like with anything that you're going to do, you, you basically have to decide like what really matters to you, what's important to you and make that the focus of the work you're going to do. And, and some of that is going to be research and some of it's going to be marketing and some of it's going to be whatever it is, whatever the activity is. I think a lot of times, again, you know, people get, get this notion of like, okay, I want to do this thing, but they don't realize all the work that goes on around it. Right. And if you own a business, owning a business is a lot of work. Uh, you, you know, when you're a business owner, you have to run the business. This is, and, and, and this, this, this is true for being an indie author as well. It's not as bad. I mean, I'm not having to do nearly as much work as I had to do when I was a business coach. But my experiences of being a business coach and having to learn how to network and market and all that have definitely fed into me, the creation of my brand as an indie author um, and, and like as a magical experimenter and all of that other stuff. And it's, it's because, you know, I, I've learned to take these different things. I mean, and, and these skills aren't, aren't skills that come easily or naturally to me. I mean, it may seem like they do, but I've really had to work at them. Um, but I think anyone who, if it's something that really matters to you and you want to make a living from it, you have to be willing to learn those skills or find the right people who can do those skills for you. Uh -huh. But usually finding the right people who can do those skills for you involves money. So you better, you have to have made a certain amount of money first. Sometimes. Like, I, I know for me, like at least at this point, like my, like, like my routine, like I still work full time. Right. So, so what I'm doing is like, I get up like 4.30 in the morning. I'll, I'll, put, I'll, I'll publish an episode of my podcast. I'll do all the marketing. I'll contact people on my network, stuff like that. And, and by then it's like, eight o'clock you know and then i take a shower i get ready i go i work an eight hour day i come home i eat dinner and then i start recording episodes on my podcast and then i go to bed and, and it's a lot of work you know but, sure but, but it's something you, know, you love to do and it's something you want to do and you're putting that time and effort in and you're you're learning all of those things you need to learn around it it's not just producing the podcast it is doing the networking it is contacting people i mean that's a great example yeah. And one of the things I have learned too with my podcast though is, you know, for some of the services that I don't have money for or like when I need somebody, I, I tend to like now, like right now I'm sort of barter favors, <laughs> you know, like if sure. I know somebody who who's like, um, say I, I need something edited. So I'll say, hey, just come on my podcast, you know, tell a spooky story and promote your editing and, you know, I'll get you some business if you do this for me, that kind of stuff. Sure. And that's a good example too, where, I mean, you can like when you can do that kind of thing. So that's another way of going about, you know, sometimes getting, you know, getting services that you can't get otherwise. And that's a good way to do it. But my point being though, that like you have to somehow or another find a way to yes. sometimes get those skills that you don't have or that you don't, you know, like, I mean, I, like I do have somebody who does book covers for me, for example. And we, you know, that's always kind of an interesting experience. Um, it's something that I enjoyed, you know, I, I'm okay as a graphic designer. I mean, I come up uh -huh. with, I, I do some, I do create graphics of my own, but I, I, I don't have, I don't consider myself to have the skills to be a book cover designer and I don't want to do it either at the end of the day. I mean, I, I really don't want to have to, to do that level of work. I'd rather just hire somebody to do it for me. And he comes up with great covers. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, I paid somebody to do my book cover too <laughs> for the one book I put out. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I have looked into like making my own. Like I, I do have a, I think it's Canva or something like that account. You know, that I use to make some graphics for the podcast to put on Facebook and stuff. Um, however, it is not my. I, I don't know. I, I try to find the activities that the ones I don't invest my time in. I want them to be ones that are give me the best return. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and that's sort of a fine art right there in itself to try to figure out which activities give you the best return. Exactly. You know, how do you, you, you know, so, I mean, those are things you have to think about too. You, you know, your time is limited. And that's where that's where the value of, of bartering or or exchanging money for services can be useful. And I think a lot of times people, uh, you, you know, they, they they come to realize that after they've had a few experiences of trying to do it all on their own. Like I I don't do my own editing and I don't do my book covers. I do my layout for my books and that's pretty easy to do. And I enjoy doing that because I can pop a TV show on while I'm doing it, mm-hmm. and you know get that done within a few hours. And I've gotten to binge watch a TV show. But in general, you know, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do layout all the time. And I've, I've had, I've, I, back when I worked for the small publisher I worked for, I did a lot of layout and it could be time intensive and I didn't like it even Mm -hmm. then, even though I could pop a show on because it was like, this is taken away from my work. It's, it's one of the reasons, again, I went down the indie author thing. I kind of wanted to just be in charge of my stuff and no one else's. And now I get to do that. Right. And and it's very similar to to my approach too. Like, like with editing, like some podcasters will spend like literally five or six hours editing an episode. Me, I I, I do it in like five minutes while watching TV. I don't even listen to it. You know, if I'm going to spend, spend five hours on something, I want it to be making content, you know? Yeah. I I don't, I don't want it to be sitting there, you know, deleting, you know, every time I say, uh, like, I don't care about that. And that probably nobody else does either. I, you know what? I, that's why when I make my videos, I don't even worry about it. Cause I know I say, uh, um, all the time and I'm just like, I don't care. You know what? It's how I talk. Who yeah, cares? If people exactly. want to, people want to critique me for doing that. That's fine. They can do that. But I haven't, I haven't heard anyone who said that. They're not like, Oh, Hey Taylor, you said, uh, five times while you were doing that video. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't worry about any of that kind of thing. Because at the end of the day, people want to hear the message, you know, and not so much all that other, yeah. you know, fancy stuff. And, and that's like what's the most important to me is putting out a good message. And I, and I think you sort of have a similar approach too. Yeah, you know, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to make this, I want to make stuff that's meaningful and helps people change their lives. So there you go. Yeah. And I think you're definitely successful at that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Awesome, man. Um, so where can my uh, listeners find you? Uh, if they want to learn more about my um, fiction, they can find me at imagineyourreality.com. If they want to learn more about the indie author stuff, they can go to indieauthorbusinesssuccess.com. And if they want to learn more about my magical work, they can go to magicalexperiments.com. Awesome. Send me all those links. And what I'll do is I'll post them in the notes of this episode. Sure. We'll do. And, and that way everybody can just, you know, if they're watching this, they can just, you know, click on the links and check that stuff out. Sounds good. Thank you, right, man. Well, thanks for being on today. Taking the time to talk with me. Thank you. Take care and have a great one. And uh, thank you to all your listeners as well.
Awesome. Thank you. Have a great day or you great too. evening, I guess. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.